You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 383, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Ben Sheldon is a software engineer, community organizer, small business owner, husband, cat dad, and open water swimmer in San Francisco. He works at Code for America, and he's the author of The Good Job Gem. It is great to have you on the show today, Ben. Hey, thank you. Ben, what is your developer origin story? I'm about two decades into the workforce. I came to being a software engineer. This is actually my second career. The first decade I spent doing nonprofit stuff, nonprofit management. And that was just literally doing everything. I was doing fundraising, grant writing, marketing, community organizing, just pretty much everything, and including building websites. I worked with a lot of community media arts organizations like Low Power FM, radio, cable access TV, and kind of helping them with websites. I was doing a lot of Drupal and WordPress. This was the 2000s. And kind of like through that, always being kind of nerdy and geeky, started doing some consulting work around Drupal and WordPress, ended up starting a small business kind of based around that, kind of always just building a lot of different art projects like online stuff. And I'm still doing that. One of that small businesses, Day of the Shirt, it's a t-shirt sale aggregator. Day of the Shirt, Shirt of the Day. It originally was going to be a zombie-themed website, but now it's just good SEO. But that was kind of like the first career, just doing nonprofit stuff and a little bit of everything. And then the second career was moving to San Francisco. And with that, I kind of rebranded as a software engineer and really just tried to you know, highlight my resume. I do software and try to drop down anything that wasn't super technical. I worked for a major dating website. I worked for a containerized hosting platform. And today I work at Code for America. And I've been there about four and a half years. And at Code for America, we help the government deliver services. So I spend a lot of my time working on a website called Get Calfresh which helps Californians apply for food stamps, SNAP, CalFresh. So over this career, I've kind of bounced several times between being a IC and being a manager. Just recently, I stepped into a new role at Code for America where I'm the director of engineering operations. But kind of like through this, like I say, I've done nonprofits, I've done technology, I've done IC, I've done management. I really kind of like believe that, you know, it's possible to kind of move around and I try not to really super define myself by any one of those, just kind of life and trying to be a better person. I love that. I have so many follow-up questions. First of all, what does the role look like for director of engineering operations? We're still kind of figuring that out. The organization has been growing a lot. It's almost doubled in size over the past like year and a half with COVID and stuff. And so a lot of the role is going to be really just supporting our engineering team, helping pave paths, trying to lift up best practices and do enablement. Code for America is a great organization. We have a real kind of like bottoms up culture. And so with that, a lot of that is really just how do we help people? How do we help autonomous teams do better and share information between them? I really have a vision, like it's a fancy title, Director of Engineering Operations, but I really see it as wanting to lift up people and help communicate across the org rather than kind of like point down and tell people what to do. I can just visualize that right now, but I appreciate that. We need more managers out there like that. So was Code for America your introduction to Ruby on Rails? 
It was my introduction to Ruby on Rails. I've been in the Code for America orbit for this past decade. It was actually uh, when I did the fellowship. I did the Code for America fellowship in 2012. And that was working with other fellows was my first introduction to Ruby on Rails. I had done a little bit of Cake PHP before, which was a PHP-based clone of Ruby on Rails. So it still had the same model view controller sort of thing. It had a like PHP-based active record sort of thing. So when I came to Rails, it wasn't completely new, but that was definitely my first experience with Ruby. So in some of your writings, you've mentioned two pizza full stack teams. What does that mean to you? Right. Kind of like good job where I'm talking in my readme about the the kind of engineering teams that I kind of like imagine good job being built for. So two pizza team was something that I think came out of Amazon with just kind of wanting to have a six to eight person team where there wasn't a whole lot of communication overhead, where you're not having to have 500 one-on-ones with people in order to like make a decision and move it forward. And so kind of like small engineering team. And I really love full stack teams where it's sort of, you're developing it, you're building it, you're putting it into production, you're running it, you're wearing the pager. You really just have like full ownership of the entire thing. And you don't have a database administrator. You don't have a separate operations team where you're sort of just like handing it off to them. You don't have a lot of kind of deep operational abstractions where you're just like you're writing the code. You're maybe putting in a Docker container or you're just like putting it on the server. You're pressing start and you're kind of just seeing what happens. And like, I guess I'm curious with you, Brittany, how does that compare to the places you've worked? Yeah, that's such a good question because it's something that my partner who I've had on the show before, we regularly debate this because he is a full stack developer at his job and every single developer at his job is a full stack developer, which is the complete opposite of what I am used to. I've typically always been a backend developer who goes super heavy on the DevOps part of it and likes to get into a server and look around, query the database, et cetera. Full front end has never been my strong suit, but I'm jealous of people who are talented on both ends of it. So currently at Texas, we have a front end team and a back end team and an ops team. And we have roughly the amount of engineers that probably I would say a three pizza team currently. And we are hiring right now. So I find that really interesting how you propose that being like an ideal situation for using your gem. So let's get to the good topic. So Ben, what is Good Job? So Good Job is a multi-threaded Postgres-based active job backend for Ruby on Rails. If you've used Sidekick or Delayed Job or Q or Rescue, you've used something that does the exact same thing as Good Job. So if you're running background jobs, you're running active job, Good job is a gem that will actually take your work and have it run on a server and then get that job done. Kind of, I guess, what makes good job unique? So it's kind of the first active job backend that I know of that is launched after active job was released. Kind of like all those I mentioned, side queue, delayed job, they actually predated Ruby on Rails' active job. And so when active job came out, which I think was in Rails 4.2, it was really just trying to consolidate all of these different potential backends into a single interface, which was ActiveJob. And so kind of like all these different tools, 
because they predate it, they have a lot more kind of like complexity and things that are going on because they need to run in systems, not necessarily with Ruby on Rails and not necessarily with ActiveJob. And so when I built GoodJob, my idea was, hey, okay, we're now on Rails 6.1. ActiveJob as an interface is fairly stable. What if I just really tried to target a single gem that just worked with ActiveJob, just worked with Ruby on Rails? How kind of like simple and performant could I make it? And would it be sort of manageable for myself as a gem maintainer, as well as wanted to, to safely run people's jobs? And when I say it's built for Ruby on Rails, it has active support logging. It uses active record to talk to the Postgres database. It uses concurrent Ruby for thread management. It kind of has just a lot of very modern tooling that keeps it all kind of like comparatively very simple. And I gave it this funny name, Good Job. And that also was the philosophy behind it. Like I wanted to be good. I wanted to be sort of like the first thing you might reach for, not because you have a crazy use case, but just because I need to run something in the background. This is what I'm going to reach for. Good Job isn't intended to be great. It's not intended to be perfect, spectacular. It's just, it's good. I wanted to be simple, maintainable, reliable, user-friendly, well-documented, compatible, like forgettable. Like I don't think when I'm developing in Ruby on Rails that I'm keeping in mind, I'm running this on Puma and I have to think of Puma as the web server for every sort of development decision. And that's the same way I want it with good job. I want to hear, okay, put this active job on the queue. It'll get run. I'm going to move on with my developer life. I love that because I think as developers, we tend to pre-optimize things. And so this is really like that first step. This is dipping your toe into background workers. This might be something not familiar with you, or you have a very narrow use case where it just, you need something to do a good job and that's it. And you make a good point about how all of these famous background workers all came out before Active Job. And I remember making the switch where I had Sidekick pointed to Active Job and kind of I checked the check mark, but it, it didn't really do anything. I mean, it was just pointed to Active Job. It's not like Active Job was taking over and doing anything that Sidekick wasn't already handling itself. So I think it's really exciting that you're taking advantage of all of that stable work because you're right. It has been several releases since Active Job hit the market. So why is an active job backend important in a conventional Ruby on Rails application? So if you think of your end user who's using your website, they're sitting at a computer, they're clicking around, you want them to have a good experience. You want those web pages to be loading super fast. But there's a lot of things that are going on inside your application that maybe you can't make them fast. For example, like sending an email, or maybe you have to pull some data out of a third-party API. Or maybe you need to run some kind of report that's going to pull together a bunch of data, make a huge amount of database. And so when your users like clicking around, you don't want to have to make them wait for any of those things to happen. Or even potentially like maybe there's a recoverable error, like one of those API calls, it's, it's the internet. Maybe one out of every 100 API calls will fail. And so you don't want the user to see a 500 error in their web browser. And so this is the idea of the active job is like, how can you take those kind of units of work, generating a report, kind of like tying together some third-party APIs, sending an email, sending a text message through an API or something into some other box that is separate from the web process, and then running that code, handling failures, having retries, as well as kind of like horizontally scaling out that work in the same way as you get more web traffic, 
you set up more servers and behind the load balancer and you don't sort of like, oh, it doesn't really matter where the request goes. That's kind of also the same promise of active job or just a job system in general is that you can kind of like, oh, if you need more job servers, you can just spin them up and they will all pull from the same queue. You have a little more confidence of this code and where it's running. I guess, let me ask you, you kind of mentioned before the, the challenges of switching over to active job. What's your experience running jobs? Is there anything that's tripped you up? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I came into a code base at my last job where they weren't using background workers at all. And so it was a ticketing company. And so you would go to buy your ticket and you would go through the entire transaction. And at the very end of the transaction, we would charge your credit card, we would issue the ticket and we would send you an email. Now, what was crazy about the whole situation is that if any part of that transaction failed, everything was ruined. So it would undo, you know, the credit card charge. It would undo the issuing of the ticket all because an email didn't send. And so in some ways, because I'm a past product manager, the fun part of pulling out the jobs is looking at an overall system or an overall transaction saying, which parts do I actually not really care if they happen? And which parts do I not care if they happen later? And so that part has always been really fun for me to do. For me, I would say it's probably the scheduling and batching jobs to be more performant that has probably tripped me up and I probably could use a lot more experience with. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Honey Badger is one of the easiest decisions you can make. As an engineering lead on a tech stack that supports a UI, API, mobile application, and Chrome extension, it is awesome to have all of my error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring in one place. No matter how great your team is, your code is going to have errors. Honey Badger empowers your whole team to own the features they ship. Honey Badger sends you alerts real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Head over to honeybadger.io and discover how Honey Badger is used by tens of thousands of pragmatic developers and companies of all sizes who want to focus on shipping great, error-free products. So I do have to ask, and by the way, the good job documentation is excellent, so you can definitely check that on your list, but you can tell that you very much have a love of Postgres. Why is that? Yeah, so good job is powered by Postgres. If you're already using Postgres as the, the database for your application, you can just use that same database. Just to make that distinction, if you're using Sidekick, Sidekick uses Redis. And so you'd likely be running your application database, which would be SQL, as well as your Redis database. I think just generally, I guess, for my ops brain, there is the, you know, more databases, more services, more problems. Good job allows you to just use the one database. So I kind of came to Postgres when I first started using Ruby on Rails. Back when I was doing Drupal and WordPress, I was using MySQL. And when I started doing Ruby on Rails, I also started using Heroku. And Heroku has this great Heroku database, which is Postgres. And so Postgres, it's a SQL database, but it really does so much more than that. I think just analogously, one of the first like Ruby on Rails keynotes that I saw, I think it was in 2015, where DHH talks about, oh, Rails is the knapsack for this like medium business. It just does everything that you would need for the business. And 
I think that's sort of how I have come to define that Postgres is that it really just does so much. So I mentioned it's a SQL database that has SQL queries. It has transactions. It has a, like acid and you can lock stuff and like kind of, oh, if in the middle of a transaction, something bad happens, you can kind of like safely roll it back or whatever. So it sort of has like the SQL thing. That's not much differentiation from say MySQL, but it also has all these other things. If you're using Mongo and you're like, oh, Mongo can store JSON, so can Postgres. Postgres has these JSON B columns where if you just need a blob of data, Postgres can do that. Redis has PubSub, where if you need to pass around messages, Postgres has something similar that's called uh, Listen Notify. And I think just like Ruby on Rails, there's just a lot of depth to Postgres, where it's something that you can just kind of get good at. And there's lots of little tricks, materialized views or triggers. There's just a lot of stuff that I think that if you kind of like are learning and wanting to think of like thinking for myself of in my developer journey of moving from, say, like a software engineer to a senior software engineer, there's a lot of just good stuff you can learn that will help you build more powerful or more performant Rails applications. I agree. I think being great at Postgres is going to take you a long way. It feels like a very stable technology that only keeps getting better. And it does help that you already have Postgres available to you. I remember at that last job that sometimes we would have Redis outages and we would lose our jobs. And so we needed to promote our sidekick version up in order to keep those jobs. So you are right. Postgres is very dependable. So I'm going to ask you a question, Ben, that I think is probably on a lot of listeners' minds. Why would I pick good job over sidekick? That is the question. So I have a secret, which is I've never actually used sidekick. I have always been using Q, that's Q-U-E, and delayed job, which are also Postgres-backed active job backends. But that being said, I think if you have a application that's in production and you're already using Sidekick or Delayed Job or Q or Rescue or kind of like any of these things, like don't change. If you're already like you're happy with what you're doing, these are all really great, great tools. And I don't want to like come on this show and say, oh, what I built is so much better than these other tools. To kind of like prepare for this podcast, I did listen to there was a Ruby on Rails podcast interview with Mike Perum of Sidekick. And I think that just like really brought to the forefront just my kind of like respect for the experience and the effort that's gone into all of these tools. Because I want to recognize like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here, kind of like all these things that I'm saying like, oh, these are the niceties of good job around, you know, it's safe, it's performant, it's multi-threaded. Those are all things where I was able to kind of use existing tools. I use existing patterns and I didn't have to invent them out of whole cloth. Like that effort already came before me. But okay, why would you use it? Why would you use Good Job? If you're starting up a new project, it's just like one less dependency of being able to use your Postgres database. You don't have to set up Redis with it. Like you can just continue using your database. It tries to make it as simple as you just drop it into your application and you just kind of don't think about it. Another thing that I think I will say that it's different than Sidekick is by default, it does have some safety where if your worker process dies, if your process dies in the middle of working a job, 
it will go right back in the queue. That's kind of like a benefit of Postgres is that it has kind of transactions and good job uses advisory locks, which is a Postgres feature. But there's kind of just a high degree of safety there that I believe that Sidekick doesn't have. You have to upgrade to Sidekick Pro to get that. But that is one differentiator. The other thing with Good Job is I have been slowly trying to just add a lot of features that are just like kind of like niceties and nice to haves. My favorite feature of the Q gem that they ended up removing support from is async execution mode, which lets you run your jobs inside of your web process. So rather than having to run a separate process, like a separate, I use a lot of Heroku, so like a separate like worker dyno on Heroku, you can just run your jobs inside of your web process. It'll use a little bit more memory, but the way that GoodJob is built, you get the same sort of safety and performance, but you just have a little bit of simplicity there. Also, in terms of like other features, it has a cron-like scheduling thing. So if you need a job to run every second, every minute, every hour, you can do that. It has some concurrency controls. If you only want to, say, perform a certain type of job only one at a time, you don't want to have 10 different jobs all running at the same time. You only want to have it like run sequentially one at a time. Good job can do that. It has a really nice web dashboard. It's still kind of work in progress, but if you want to click around, and stuff. It does all of that. And not all these things are like super differentiating. I think a lot of these say like Sucker Punch also can run async. So I don't want to be like, oh, these are all totally new, but they're just like nice. That idea with a good job is like, oh, I just wanted to like do a good job of running these things and really just like reinforce that you can trust it. You can move on with the actual innovation of running your app and not just constantly consider this in every development decision. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you recently celebrated a 2.0 release. Tell me about it. I'm really proud just of getting to 2.0. Sometimes when I was working on it, I was like, oh, maybe it won't ever be 1.0. It's just going to kind of peter out. I think I'll say like, for the end user, if you're already using good job, you were using 1.13.1, like 2.0, you don't get any new features with it. It's really not that special. I use a semantic versioning, which means that there's really just more of a technical meaning that version 2.0 is not backwards compatible with the 1.0 releases. And that was something that I feel very strongly about with semantic versioning of not being too precious with version releases, you made a change, just figure out, was it a major version, a minor version, or a patch, and just like cut that release and move on. But let me like walk you through the big milestones for Good Job. So I started it in March 2020. That was the 0.1 release. And I got to 1.0 in July 2020. So I guess that's four months. And kind of like the path that I took to that So what I had in March was actually something that I'd been poking at for the previous about a year and a half of just kind of like me having the hubris of, oh, I think I can build a new active job backend. And so like the version, the 0.1 was like quite literally, it's just this is an active job backend that works. But I knew that I wanted to like make it good. Okay. So that was like bad job, good job, like 1.0. Like I wanted to make sure that like it had logging, it had instrumentation, it had documentation. I actually wanted to like make sure that I was running it on 
day of the shirt, my small business, like just wanting to make sure, is this usable? If I'm going to put it out in the world, I want it to be something that is not going to embarrass me. And kind of just making sure, okay, just like having my mental checklist of, is this something I want to do? Do I want to be an open source gem maintainer? And so there was kind of like just a lot of those decisions of, okay, I want to make sure that I have all my infrastructure for being able to have tests, having code linting that RuboCop, wanting to be able to cut releases really easily. I ended up like hiring a documentation consultant. I spent $1,500 working for a week with an amazing, amazing person. But like really just because I was like, I don't know how to write documentation. Is this any good? And so just learning and going through that process. And like I said, that was like four months between the first thing I put on Ruby Gems and when I got to 1.0 was just trying not to be too precious about like 1.0, just kind of like being good enough. And that was also like, I really wanted to get to 1.0 because I've seen and worked with a lot of like gems where they're just always on that zero point something branch, like that release. And, you know, you have like 0.0.0. If you have those three spaces, like get to 1.0. So at least you can use the full set of semantic versioning numbers. And like I say, like, just kind of don't be too precious about it, though. I will say that I was really anxious about when I called it 1.0, what am I committing to here in my life? I guess I just want to like, just ask on that semantic versioning piece, like, have you ever like worked with gems where they just are never at 1.0? 100%. So many of the Omnioff strategies I've used have never hit 1.0. Just because I think it was currently itching a scratch that the maintainers had at that moment. And so they created an Omnioff strategy and put it out there, which so grateful for it. But I think a lot of them, you know, once they depart from that company and no longer need that as a strategy or a good example is a company just changing, you know, the security. So I remember I was using Omnioff for Instagram and then Facebook came in with a hammer and changed everything. So, yeah, that gem definitely never made it to 1.0. It does feel like when you put that 1.0 stamp on a gem, though, you are saying something, which is pretty exciting and a little bit scary. Yeah. So I like had to just get over that mental block of like 1.0. And then going from 1.0 to 2 has also been kind of a bit of a journey. Definitely when I was like 1.0, like, okay, it got posted on Hacker News. And then you get a whole fire hose of feedback. And that was a lot of, you know, I think moving from I'm writing code every morning to more doing product management and sometimes emotional management of just understand where people are coming from and navigating their needs and how to address them and having to say no, kind of doing that. And I will admit my kind of like philosophy of this gem changed in the middle of it. I kind of came to it originally with this, it is going to do exactly what active job requires and nothing more. And that was challenged. I held that line, I think, for the first six months. And I went to RailsConf. I guess I didn't go to RailsConf this year. This was actually the first RailsConf I've ever been to. And it was virtual, which was great because I had a ton of conversations with folks. There was a chat channel where we talked about active job stuff for that week. And I really took a big 180 where I kind of like in talking to people was like, oh, active job is actually the minimum of what people really want. And I shouldn't wait for active job to to kind of like advance the state of the art. 
I should do that, remove blockers, and just kind of help people. And I think I also saw that too. There was a blog post about the one of the maintainers of RSpec did a little bit of a postmortem. They realized they were so opinionated where they're telling people you're doing it the wrong way rather than kind of actually helping people achieve their goals. I kind of did this 180 and that was kind of then the seed of a whole bunch of features of cron and concurrency controls and really trying to flush out the dashboard because I kind of realized I was like, okay, let's actually try to solve the problems that people are having and give people what they want. I'm still trying to say no, but did want to realize that that there was a space where I could help people and kind of trying to lean into that. And that was kind of like the setup here for this 2.0 where I didn't introduce any new changes, but I did pull out a whole bunch of deprecation warnings, kind of like compatibility shims. It was just like, okay, let's get to this new clean slate for 2.0. And now I think a lot of the the changes that I'm excited about for 2.0 is inside of the web dashboard. Really want to make it a lot easier for people to retry jobs, duplicate the job parameters and rerun them and get just a bit more like kind of like insights charts into the jobs they're running. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is leading edge application performance monitoring that is designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues. All this without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, you can quickly pinpoint and resolve performance issues. These include N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails let you rest easy knowing that Scout's on watch and resolving performance issues before your customers ever see them. Scout has also launched its new error monitoring feature add-on for Ruby applications. Now you can connect your error reporting and application monitoring data on one platform. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend and try their error monitoring and APM free for 14 days, no credit card needed. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. So I'm curious, what does the life of an open source maintainer currently look like for you? Let me start with a little bit of a privilege check. So I have a day job. I mentioned I've been doing this now for 20 years. So I'm fairly stable in mid-career. I'm comfortable. I'm married. My wife and I are trying to have kids. I made this gem because it seemed like something fun and helpful I could do. It really isn't in my mind like a stepping stone to something else in my career. Like I'm living the life I live and I'm loving it. And so I guess let me answer this by an interview question I love, which is walk me through a good day and walk me through a bad day. So like a great day for me, honestly, as an open source maintainer is I don't work on good job. I don't think about good job. It's a library. It's been out 18 months. And when I launched it, I did have cold sweats at night that like somebody would open some GitHub issue that's like, you were a giant fraud and this doesn't work and it never could have worked. But it's been out for a while. I sort of have confidence in it that it's going to work and it's not going to bring up any big surprises. So it's, if I can put it out of my mind, that's a great day. I think a good day is like the more realistic thing where I'll spend maybe an hour on it in the morning, kind of just respond to some issues. I really try to make a point of being responsive. You know, somebody opens up an issue, even if what I'm saying is like, 
states all look into it. I want people to feel like that it is an actively maintained gems. And that's one of my frustrations too, when the open source world, you open an issue and you get radio silence. Like that's even worse than I think somebody telling you like, no, or this isn't important or not a priority. It's like, you just literally get no feedback. So I really try to prioritize acknowledging that somebody wants to make something better. And I would just say for folks, if you do come to good job, I really appreciate when people give me feedback. I'll maybe post an issue in Good Job or a GitHub discussion, or I'll ask a question in the Ruby on Rails link Slack. And just like somebody saying, hey, thanks for this, or reacting with a heart or something, that literally makes my day. The heart reaction, the thumbs up reaction, give me one of those and, and that's a great day. Okay, walking through a bad day. Those are like somebody like drive-by issues where they leave you two pages worth of feedback that's just like, this is a terrible idea. You've done it all wrong. And once I pick myself off the floor and it's, oh, you obviously spent a lot of time in this. Tell me more. Help me understand what you're trying to do. And you just never hear back from them. So that's, I think, the bad day where someone else comes and drive by dumps and like you just never know anything more about the problem. That's like super hard. And so that's, I think, the working in the code, working in the GitHub, but there's like a lot of other good stuff around just kind of like thinking about, I'm going to say air quote marketing, but just doing a write up about good job or like posting it to Reddit, kind of just like interacting with people on the, the Rails link Slack or like with this 2.0 release, trying to share just that it happened with various newsletters, being here today, quite literally, and talking about good job. I feel uncomfortable like talking about marketing because I feel like I've been brainwashed to believe that it's, oh, if you build it, they will come. Or that, that there's something sort of like dishonest about marketing. But I guess the way that I've been trying to deprogram myself is that sort of like evangelizing is, is sharing the good news. Like marketing is a uh, definition I heard is it's a transfer of exuberance. And as you're hearing here, like I'm super excited about good job. I think it's really good. And I want people to know about it. And so I think that is just like part of the work of gem maintainership of authorship is shouting from the rooftops. Hey, I think this thing is like pretty good. So yeah, I think that's who I want to mention. Just like the marketing is an important aspect of like building something that you actually do want people to use. And I think I'll lastly say, like I mentioned this earlier about just like building on the shoulders of giants, building a Rails engine is not that challenging. I've tried my hands like before in just little like Ruby glue helper gems. I had a gem that would help you like modify Markdown for Jekyll. And I remember really struggling with that sort of stuff and that it was just like pure Ruby. But with Good Job, active support is such a wonderful crutch and writing a Rails engine. There's a whole set of documentation for it. There's like a generator for it. And it's just like really nice. And like appraisals is a tool for you to test against multiple versions of gems. So like I test good job against Ruby on Rails 5.2, 6.0, 6.1, like the Rails main branch. And it just I don't know. I'm not sure if this is like my level of confidence as a Ruby on Rails developer or just that the ecosystem is in a really nice place. But I've been shocked by how like small amounts of pain that I've actually had in like building this gem. That's awesome. I love to hear that. I'm glad to hear that there are good people out there in the community supporting you. And speaking of, how can listeners support Good Job? 
Yeah. If you're starting up a new application, like if you're in a place to try it, go try installing it. Go read the README. I think it's down to six bullet points since the getting started. Open issues, open GitHub discussions. Like I say, I really want to try to be really responsive to things. Blogger tweet about it. I think probably the smallest individual thing you can do that would be super helpful is if you're interested, go star it on GitHub. I think the like number of stars on GitHub is like the strongest signal of legitimacy on an open source project. That number of stars on GitHub is what determines where it shows up on like the Ruby Toolbox website. I think that also is a way to convince Rails core that maybe good job should be listed as an adapter in their documentation. They put a freeze on listing other adapters. So right now, the only adapters, if you go look in the Ruby on Rails docs, are all of the adapters that launched prior to active job. I guess, you know, I'm saying, oh, good job is like the first active job back in to come out after it. But they like kind of explicitly said, we're not going to add any more adapters to Ruby on Rails. So I think that's like the long game is, okay, how do I get more visibility for this? And also, I have a GitHub sponsored account. So if you're using it, if it's bringing you value, you can chip in some money. And that goes to help pay for documentation specialists. There's a little Heroku demo app. And as well as me, I think money helps with my livelihood as well. And it is a strong signal that I'm providing value in the community. I totally agree. So listeners, we will have that all linked up into the show notes. So Ben, before we wrap up, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I think it's great. Like I said, just like writing code and releasing this gem, I think just at a pure technical level, Ruby on Rails is still where I want to work. And I see out in the community, I think there's lots of avenues for learning. I've mentioned the Ruby on Rails link Slack I've gotten a lot of support on Reddit. I think there's a lot of companies that are blogging about stuff. A lot of my inspiration came from the the Big Binary, their company blog. Discuss.rubyonrails.org is great. There's all these Ruby newsletters, Ruby news podcasts like this one. And I think just trying to think of how to be welcoming to people and new businesses. If there's anything that like I am worried about in the community, I think that Trying to think not just about, oh, is Ruby on Rails fast enough, but really like, is it meeting the kinds of business needs and the ways of working that people have? What opened my eyes to Ruby on Rails was reading Agile Web Development with Rails, which was really just about like, how do you iteratively deliver business value? And I think that's the sort of thing is just, is Ruby on Rails actually serving the businesses that exist today? And I do think it it is. I have a friend who's just way more famous than me on the internet, they had joined this like stealth mode startup and their team was like building their application in Rust because it was fast. And they'd been doing it for like almost two years that they were in stealth mode. And I was probably a jerk of a friend because I was like, you should just use Ruby on Rails. Use Ruby on Rails. Use Ruby on Rails. And I finally wore them down to the point where they were like, okay, Ben, I will try Ruby on Rails. And they ended up rebuilding the entire application in just a few weeks. Like, I think it was like two and a half weeks. And I think those are the kind of stories that I want more people to be telling about Ruby on Rails are not just like the, oh, is it fast enough? Does it have this feature? But really just look, this is what we built our business on. And I think that sort of thing is just, that's the place where Ruby on Rails is that it's like, this is a great tool. 
for the things that people are trying to do in life. Absolutely. So Ben, how can listeners follow you? If you want to follow me personally, I'm all over the place. I'm Ben Sheldon on Twitter. You can follow my blog, island94.org. If you become a GitHub sponsor, I will send you newsletters. But I just want to warn people that I'm like, my blog is all over the place in terms of just like the things that I read, the things that I heard. If you're looking for developer kind of stuff, that's probably not what you're looking for. If So I think the best thing is, especially for good job, go click the watch button on the project on GitHub or become a GitHub sponsor because for the most part, the GitHub sponsor stuff is me talking about good job. Fantastic. Well, Ben, thank you so much for all the work that you have put into Good Job. It was really exciting to have you on the podcast. And as far as I know, this is your first podcast and you absolutely did a fantastic job. And, you know, as Good Job progresses, we would definitely welcome you back. Hey, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.